chapter 1, and we'll read verses 14 through 17, and refer back to the previous verses as well, even back to chapter 1, verse 1, but uh, as we review somewhat, just briefly, and then get in further into our into the account tonight, to the narrative of Ruth. And there's many things to glean as you're turning there. Let me just mention, there's many things for us to glean from this, from this book. Um, it, it is, um, it's a wonderful book, of course, and as I said to you, I want to be, you to be mindful of this from the beginning, uh, that it's more than a picture of redemption, though it is that for certain. It's more than a, a de- demonstration of redemption, a, a, though we acknowledge that it is. It, it again is literally a piece of the puzzle of God's eternal redemptive purpose coming to, pl- to place, to being realized in time. And I say that for this reason again, that it's, Bo- it's, Bo- it's, Ru- uh, sorry, it's Boaz and Ruth that have Obed, who then have Jesse, who then has David. And David, of course, is in the lineage of Christ, as you know. And so they, this is more than just a picture of redemption, though it is definitely that. It is literally God's redemptive purpose being fulfilled in time. And it's important to, again, acknowledge that. At the same time, there's also many things for us to glean and to uh, consider or understand as, as parallels, if you will, in a sense, to redemption and to the, the one and one's life who has been redeemed. And we see many things that just start coming out of this book and that we can relate to concerning that that are true of Ruth and Naomi and then, of course, Boaz and, and the following, but also um, are true to us in terms of things which we can glean from, uh, their, from this narrative, from this account. And so Ruth chapter 1, verse 14, we begin, And they lifted up their voice and wept again. This is speaking of Orpah and Ruth. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. We began our study of this narrative provided within this account of Ruth by considering several things outlined within this book. And again, I, I keep saying and referencing this book as a narrative because that's exactly what it is. This is an account in, an old, in the Old Testament, an historical account that is not filled with uh, doctrinal instruction or teaching, um, but rather is giving us a historical record of something that literally took place. But of, it is of tremendous significance in the working of God's redemptive purpose being fulfilled and as well redemption for Ruth herself as an individual who then was brought into what would be the family of our Lord Jesus Christ and the lineage of Christ as, as uh, of course, again, Obed and Jesse and then David, David himself being a uh, representation of Christ as the king of Israel, of course, the first king that God chose, that is, to be king of Israel. And as well, we know that the Lord Jesus is even referenced in the New Testament as the son of David, uh, again, making reference to God's choice as king over his people. And so it's important that we recognize that as we work through this account. And we looked at several things uh, outlined within this book already, leading us to this uh, point in the text. Verses 1 and 2, we looked at the departure from God's place of blessing, if you recall. 
Verse 1 and 2, we read, And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Now, the verb sojourn, as I mentioned to you, it literally means to dwell as an alien and as a dependent. And so to sojourn didn't simply mean he was going just for a short period of time and then planning to leave. No, he was going to dwell in Moab and become a dependent upon Moab and the people of Moab. Verses 3 through 5, we see the consequences of departing from God's blessing. Verse 3 says, And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. All the evidence infers that Elimelech acted on his own accord, and the Lord chastened both he and his family accordingly. And as Naomi testified upon her return to her homeland in chapter 1, 20 and 21, and she said unto them to, when she returned home, Call me not Naomi, which is pleasant, but call me Mara, which is bitter. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. And I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? Then verse 5 we're told, And Malon and Chilion died also both of them. Elimelech's sons continued in the footsteps of their father and had grown accustomed to the way of life in Moab, and they were content to not only live there, but also to die there. Verses 6 and 7, we looked at the return to God's blessings. And even in a return, we saw that Naomi credits the Lord for bringing her home. Despite all she had lost and her emptiness, she recognizes that it was only because of the Lord that she ever returned at all, even returning empty as she was. Chapter 121, again, she says, I went out full, but listen to what she stated, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. So she acknowledges it's God who's brought me back home. I went out full. She could have just as well died with her husband and her sons in Moab. She understands that. And she, yes, she says, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Now, the fact of the matter is, God was chastening, no doubt, in fulfilling his redemptive purpose. But yet, what she saw as being against her, as we looked at last week, even in relation to Jacob, if you recall, when he says, all these things are against me. And so, Naomi says pretty much the same thing here. The Lord had dealt bitterly with me. She says, I went out full, and the Lord brought me back empty. So she's saying, I've suffered greatly. And again, we're reminded that there's always a cost to sin. There's always a cost to rebellion against God. There's always a cost from straying from God's purpose and God's will. And so she's experiencing that, no doubt. But even in all of that loss that she experienced, she says, I went out full. I went out full. She, with her family, they left. And they went out with their family and with fullness and to a place where there was bread, where there was food, whereas there was a famine in her homeland. And that was due to God's judgment as well, because God said, as we saw in the Old Testament, that one of the ways in which he would judge his people and chasten them and correct them would be that he would cause a famine to come upon their land. And so that's exactly what has taken place. And she said, I went out full, but then she, she doesn't say, I returned empty. The Lord has brought me back. The Lord hath brought me home again, but he did so as one who is empty. In our study last week, we considered how God in love was working in the life of Naomi, despite all that which she considered to be working against her. Last week, we examined how God's love was working behind the scenes in verses 8 through 14. We won't take time to read all of those verses tonight again, but it was through all that happened to Naomi. The Lord was not only displaying his love for Naomi and Ruth, but was fulfilling, again, his eternal redemptive purpose. And in redemption, we, we must be aware and reminded that there is so much more going on behind the scenes than we can begin to imagine or understand. I mean, even from a personal um, 
experience of being born again, we have, to be, we have to be able to look back and see. Surely you can if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. You can look back and see and recognize that God was working in miraculous ways and He was doing things in your heart and in your life. He was exposing you to His truth and to His Word, to the Gospel. He was drawing you by His love and by His Spirit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in His goodness, He was bringing you to repentance, to a change of heart and mind concerning who He is and who His who his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, is. So there's always a working behind the scenes. There's God's work being done. None of this is happenstance. None of this is by chance that Ruth just decides to go back with Naomi and just decides then to marry Boaz and catches Boaz's eye and Boaz marries her and redeems her. None of this is just happenstance. None of this just happened, but it's God's work and God's love behind the scenes at work in the life of Naomi in the life of Ruth, and as well Boaz, and ultimately even in our own lives through providing our Lord Jesus Christ through this lineage. And so we see that this is God's work that is taking place. And this, we must remember this. Again, because it's his work and his love being demonstrated and working behind the scenes, it's easy for us sometimes to just kind of overlook that or, or glance over it. But we must remember because even what we will look at tonight is a direct result of God's love working behind the scenes from the text that we'll look at this evening and be looking and studying through. So there's so much more going on than we can ever begin to understand or imagine. Even the things that we think are working against us, as Naomi thought and as mentioned, are being providentially used by the Lord to fulfill His purpose. Verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. Naomi did. For she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Now, again, I mentioned to you last week, this was so important. For she had heard. Here we see God's love at work. God is working behind the scenes. She is in Moab. She's still outside of God's place of provision of bread, the land of bread. And she is outside of that place. But it says she had heard. The Lord determined that Naomi would hear of his provision back in her homeland while she was still in Moab. And once she heard of what God was doing in the land of bread, that he was visiting his people, he had provided them food, the Lord began to stir within Naomi a hunger in her heart to be back in fellowship with him and his people. Now, the scripture doesn't say that specifically, but that's exactly what's taking place. She is apart from the people of God, apart from her own people. She's outside of God's purpose, God's will, as far as her family having left the land of bread to go to Moab and to dwell there and become dependent on Moab rather than on God. And so we find that now the Lord is working in her and stirring that within her, this desire to go back. And one of the reasons we find she wanted to go back because she was aware that there was nothing that Moab had to offer that could begin to compare to the blessings of God in the land of bread. This was her homeland. This is where she was supposed to be. So as Naomi was preparing to return to Bethlehem, Judah, we find in the account tonight in the verses we've read that her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, both decided to go with her. And they both were going with her. They both had begun the journey already to go with her. However, we find that Naomi, feeling destitute and possessing little hope for her future, not to mention her daughters-in-law, she encouraged them both to remain in the land of Moab. Verses 7 and 8 we read, Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and with her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return into the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. 
Verse 11 and 12 go on to say, And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why would ye go with me? Are there yet more, any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Verse 12, Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Now, while Naomi's advice was selfless, because there's no doubt that they had formed a, a friendship and fellowship and a, a family relationship as mother-in-law and daughters-in-law. But while Naomi's request and instruction and her advice was selfless on her part in that she did not believe she had anything to offer Orpah and Ruth. So she's not saying, I don't want your company, I don't want you with me. And she even says, you've dealt kindly with me and with the dead, meaning that they had dealt kindly with her husband and with her sons as their, as, as their sons' wives. But yet, she says, you've dealt kindly with me and those who've died now of my family and may the Lord deal kindly with you in turn. So there was, this was a good relationship that they shared, obviously, as she expresses that. But she says, go back in a selfless manner. She's saying, I don't have much of a future. And she's saying, I can't see my life having much to look forward to. And she says, and I have nothing I can offer you. There's nothing I can provide you. Again, if I were to have sons, even at this age, find a husband and, and, and bear children, are you really going to wait for my sons to grow to the point at the age of where you could take them as husbands and then have children yourselves? And so she says, I, I have nothing to offer you. So this is a selfless act on her part where she is saying, go because I, I can't help you. And in relation to this idea of pertaining to a future, this was advice that was based on her physical situation, Naomi's physical situation, without giving any spiritual consideration whatsoever. She's not even considering that at this point. She's just looking at this from a very uh, uh, practical, physical uh, viewpoint and perspective. Now, both Orpah and Ruth, as we see in the text, demonstrated a love for Naomi. And I say love in quotation marks, quote, unquote. However, there is a distinct difference between possessing affectionate feelings and care for someone and that of demonstrating genuine love for them. While it is true that the presence of love will stimulate emotions and feelings, Love is not a feeling, and love is not an emotion. Love is commitment. Now, you may want to argue with that and say, well, how is that so? Well, let's think about this for a little bit further and a little deeper for a moment, just to, so you can see this truth. Not only unfold in this narrative of Ruth, but what would we all agree tonight to be the absolute greatest most profound display of love. Christ being manifest in the flesh, and furthermore, not just being manifest in the flesh, but Christ dying on the cross. As a matter of fact, again, the Scripture says in Romans, but God commendeth, he, he demonstrated his love for us in that while we, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In 1 John 4, the scripture says, says, in this was manifested the love of God in that he sent his son to do what? That he might die for us as an offering for us, as an atonement for our sins. And so we understand and we would all agree the greatest manifestation and the purest demonstration of love that has ever been or will ever be was not only the Lord God our Father sending the Lord Jesus Christ into this world, 
But more importantly, that God the Father offered His Son as an atonement for our sins. It's His death. So if that is true, which it is, then we must also come to this conclusion. It was not a feeling, nor was it an emotion that moved our Lord to lay his life down on the cross. How do we even know that to be true? Let's look at Scripture again. In the Garden of Gethsemane, our Lord prays to the Heavenly Father. He says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Do you think Jesus had this overwhelming uh, uh, emotion or feeling that I just want to go to the cross and suffer and die? This, I mean, this is what I desire in this flesh to do. No, what he desired was the Father's will to be accomplished. So it was the Lord Jesus' commitment to the will of the Father that moved him to lay his life down as an offering. Not an emotion and not a feeling. And furthermore, while Jesus' death on the cross is declared to be both a manifestation and demonstration, as I mentioned, of God's love, the cross was not based on the Heavenly Father's emotion or feeling. But it is a manifestation of God's commitment to the fulfillment of His eternal redemptive purpose. So the Father was committed to His eternal purpose and fulfilling that purpose, and the Son was committed to the will of the Father. Hence, we see the greatest demonstration and manifestation of love that has ever been or could ever be. And it had nothing to do with a feeling or an emotion. Now, I will say this. That love, as it's been manifested and demonstrated, it stirs up a feeling within me, an emotion within me, but it's not hinged or based on either of those things. So back to Ruth. While both Orpah and Ruth loved Naomi and desired to go with her, they each responded differently to Naomi's instructions. Let's look at what Orpah did. First, we see that Orpah turned back. Look at verses 14 and 15. And they lifted both of them, Orpah and Ruth. They lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. There is a distinct difference in these responses. And she said, Naomi, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people, speaking to Ruth, and unto her gods, Return thou after thy sister-in-law. So Orpah kissed Naomi and then went back home. And Naomi instructed her to. Ruth, however, clave to Naomi. And Naomi then instructs Ruth again, as she's already said. Naomi tells Ruth, go back with your sister-in-law. Orpah's gone back to her home, back to her mother. You need to go back as well. Again, I have nothing to offer you, so why stay with me? You go back. I have no future. You'll have no future with me that I can see. Go back home. Go back to your people. Go back to your gods. Again, I told you a moment ago that there is no spiritual consideration here in Naomi's advice, and I think that becomes very evident here. Because she says, go back to, she went back to her people, back to her gods. You do the same, Ruth. Go back. This has nothing to do with a spiritual wisdom or decision or insight. This has to do with Naomi looking at a very practical situation in which she understood, I have no way to help these girls that I do love, and I have no way to offer them anything, and I cannot give them sons that they may offer to them as husbands. So there's nothing I can do for them. 
And so there's no future with me. Go back home. Go back to what you know. Go back to what you're used to. Go back to what you're comfortable with. Just go back. And Orpah kissed her, weeping, of course, and does just that. And then Ruth cleaves to her. And Naomi again says, you go back too. Go back. Now, at first glance, it would appear, I think, that Orpah had the same driving desire as that of Ruth. She, as well, wanted to go with Naomi back to Naomi's homeland. Yet in the end, she was easily convinced to go back to her own homeland. Now you say easily convinced. Well, she was told like three times to go and return, but she went. Orpah may have been walking away from Moab. I think this is something for us to consider. Orpah may have been walking away from Moab, and she was with Naomi and with Ruth, but there was still a love for Moab in Orpah. And if that were not the case, she would have never gone back. This mention of Orpah and Ruth, chapter 1, verse 14, she's only mentioned twice in the Scriptures. Once in chapter 1, verse 4, and once in chapter 1, verse 14. And this is the last time we ever hear of Orpah in Scripture. We never find her mentioned again in the Word of God, and in all probability, upon her return, She just simply chose to go back to her pagan way of life. It's what she knew. It's what she was comfortable with. It's what she was used to. Just a side note here to consider. How many have been exposed to the truth of the gospel through the preaching and teaching and the testimony of other believers or some other form of ministry that is faithful to the gospel? And how many of those who've been exposed to such give a lip service to the Lord and give lip service as though they are desiring and longing and faithful to follow after Christ? Yet when the time comes to count the cost, they are so soon found back in their pagan world, living a pagan life, never to be heard from again. Notice we are told that Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. Now I do not question for one moment that Orpah had affection for Naomi. I am certain that as she walked away, she no doubt felt a sense of grief, no doubt felt a sense of sorrow. They were weeping together. They were, they were not, this was not a happy goodbye. No, there was sadness in the life and heart of both Naomi and Orpah, and Ruth for that matter. And yet in the end, regardless of the sorrow and the grief, she left Naomi all the same. While a kiss is generally recognized as a display of love or affection. Let us not forget that Judas kissed our Lord when betraying him. In Matthew 26, 48 and 49, we're told, Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. Now, is this the same kiss of betrayal that Judas used as a sign in betraying Jesus as, is this the same situation with Orpah kissing Naomi? No, I don't believe it is at all. Orpah here is is weeping, and she is sad, and there's grief in her heart that she is is now leaving her mother-in-law, whom she truly loved, and they had a good relationship by all indication, as Naomi herself testified. But she left her all the same. Jesus prophesied of those who would display an outward show of affection. Remember, a kiss is an outward show of affection. There's no doubt about that. As a matter of fact, even when Judas kissed our Lord, I I would venture to say that the only ones who thought that that was a sign of betrayal 
were the ones who knew that that was to be a sign of betrayal. If you recall in the upper room with me, for even, with even the disciples prior to this, when Judas went out to make all the arrangements to do this very thing and betray our Lord Jesus Christ, if you recall with me when Jesus says that the, there's one that's going to betray me and each of the disciples begin to look at each other and say, is it, is it I, Lord, is it me? Am I the one who's, who's going to do it? They had no idea this was Judas who was going to do it. And the Lord says, the one to whom I give stuff, he's the one that goes out and betrays me. And Jesus gives Judas up, and Judas gets up and walks out and says, that which thou do, doest thou quickly. And he goes out and leaves, and the disciples think that he's going out to do the Lord's work. They had no idea. They were clueless that Judas was a betrayer. But yet he was. So when he kissed our Lord, surely they were not fully aware of what was taking place, except for those who were aware of what was taking place that Judas had conspired with. So while many give lip service to the Lord, the truth remains that those who do such many times have no inward commitment to the Lord. In Matthew 15, 8, Jesus said this, this people, quoting Isaiah, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and they honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You know what that's equivalent to? Kissing the Lord and yet having no commitment at all to him. Jesus further stated in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Orpah had affection for Naomi. Notice what Jesus said, though. Let me just back up for a moment. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And if someone tries to save their life, they're going to lose it. But those who willingly lose their lives, they are the ones that are saved. Orpah had affection for Naomi. There's no doubt about that. She, I would even say probably that she had as much love as she could muster within herself for her, mother, for her, her mother-in-law. Yet... Her actions revealed that she lacked the same commitment possessed by Ruth. They both were sad. They both wept. They both were, 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 had love or affection for Naomi. But there's a vast difference here. So while Orpah turned back, Ruth slaved unto Naomi. Look at verses 14 through 17 again. And they lifted up their voice and wept again, they, both of them. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. The scripture doesn't even say that Ruth showed any outward display of affection towards Naomi here. It doesn't say Orpah kissed Naomi and Ruth kissed Naomi. It just says that Orpah kissed her and then Orpah's gone. The next verse, Naomi declares that. But Ruth was clinging with all that she had within her, she is clinging to Naomi. And it goes on to say, Naomi says, verse 15, she said, Naomi said, Behold, thy sister-in-law Orpah has gone back unto her people and to her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee. She said, Don't ask me to leave you. Do not, do not tell me. Do not instruct me. Do not say to me, Go away from me. Or to return from following after thee. Then she says, For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. 
Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also if aught but death part thee and me. Orpah and Ruth both loved Naomi. They received the same instruction from Naomi. They both saw the same future that they had with Naomi, which didn't look that promising, as Naomi clearly points out. But yet, Ruth was committed to go with Naomi to this land of promise, this land of bread. Ruth had reached a place in her life where she realized while Naomi saying, I have nothing to offer you, Ruth had come to a point to understand there was nothing left for her back in Moab. There was nothing in Moab that was worth going back to the land for. Verses 16 and 17, look again. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. Unlike Orpah, Ruth's love, which is to say her commitment, was life-changing. Remember, the book of Ruth, again, is redemption's love story. And as a picture of redemption that we have in Jesus Christ, that is true, as I've mentioned. And that being said, genuine conversion produces genuine commitment. The new birth produces a new life. Which will be manifested by a new and deep commitment to the Lord and His truth. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 in the beginning of verse 18 says, you know these verses, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. But it doesn't stop there. It begins there. He's a new creature. And because he's a new creature, old things are passed away. In other words, in the case of Ruth, and we'll see this in a moment, she has a new identity. She's taking a whole new identity now. And she's saying, there's nothing for me in Moab. The old is gone. It's past. I will not go back. I will not look back. Orpah can do what she will, but I will not. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become New, and the most important part of all of this statement about old and new is the next statement, and all things are of God. What made the difference between Orpah's response and Ruth's response to Naomi's plea and instruction? As I've already mentioned to you, we must remember as we discovered last week, God's love was working behind the scenes throughout this entire account. For it was through Ruth that the Lord was determined to bring about His redemption. So what was the result of this? Orpah goes back. We never hear anything else about her again. But Ruth says, I'm clinging. I'm cleaving. And by the way, I'll I'll go ahead and point this out as well. This is the same language used in Scripture when referring to the relationship between a husband and wife. In Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And this is the same Hebrew word. The verb clave that is used in Ruth's account and that of cleave that is used in Genesis 2.24 is the same Hebrew word. And you know what it means? To cling, to stick, or to hold. And notice, if you will, in verse 17, Where thou diest will I die, there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also if aught but death part thee and me. That sounds a little familiar to 
covenant relationship, doesn't it? And it's the same Hebrew word for a man cleaving to his wife that he claved to Naomi. There was a commitment. And this is a covenant being made with Naomi, if you will, by Ruth when she's saying, I will go with you to the end. I will die where you die. I'll be buried where you're buried. And may God judge me accordingly if I do any otherwise. So what happens in this case? Well, we find that as a new creature in Christ, as we read a few moments ago, that here we find with Ruth's commitment to Naomi that now she is going to have a new home. She said, whether thou goest, I will go, and whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Ruth was leaving the land of God's washpot, Moab, to go to the land of God's blessing, the land of bread, where God is visiting his people. She had her fill of all that Moab had to offer, and now she was turning from the land of spiritual darkness to a land of spiritual light. While Orpah returned to her people and her gods, Ruth's response, one of a deeper love than that which a kiss could ever convey, resulted in her cleaving to Naomi. Ruth's love, her commitment, brought her to a place of clinging and holding to Naomi, and doing such produced a tremendous change in her life. As she forsook all things that were familiar to her, and that which she had once referred to as her identity, to now take on a new identity which was not her own, but that which she would have because of her commitment to Naomi. She's saying, I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to lodge where you lodge. I'm forsaking my home that I might be with you in your home. And all this is God's work behind the scenes, His love drawing Ruth, His love bringing about this reality and this, this change that is going to be taking place in Ruth's life, even more so, of course, in the case of meeting Boaz. He also not only had a new home, but a new culture. Notice what she says, Thy people shall be my people. The people of the land of Bethlehem, Judah, or Judah, were not the same as the people in the land of Moab. This is a whole new life. This is a whole new way of living. This is a whole new culture that she is entering into. She was aware that the people of Moab and the false gods of Moab and the way of life in Moab were not where she should be, or, and it was not where she wanted to be. She now belonged to a different family, and her eyes and heart were set on another country. Ruth was willing to forfeit her entire identity, all of her past, to embrace a new identity with Naomi and her land. Then see, not only a new home, a new culture, but a new God. Notice what she says, and I, God, my God. As I've mentioned from this passage, we are informed that Moab was a pagan land and had several false gods which they worshipped. Again, go back to verses 15 and 16. And she said, Naomi said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back into her people and unto her gods, plural. Return thou to thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. For thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Despite the culture of her homeland in Moab, in which they acknowledged many false gods, Ruth was convinced that there was only one God and she was determined to worship him and him alone. And she is making that declaration here. Oh, she didn't say, your gods will be my gods. No, she's left. Naomi said, oh, go back to your, with Orpah, back to your people and to your gods. And, they, and Ruth says, wait a minute, no, do not ask me to leave. 
Your home will be my home. Your people, this culture will be my culture and my people. And your God, singular, will be my God. What would have brought her to open, what would brought her to have open eyes concerning this, to have an open understanding concerning this? Again, all this is only acting and becoming reality because God's love is behind the scenes working, bringing Ruth to this understanding and bringing her to Boaz. But then there's more to be said here. Not only would there be a new home, not only would there be a new culture, not only would there be a new God, but there's a new future. Look at what she says. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. Ruth was not going to simply try a new life with Naomi. She was absolutely, completely committed to live and die in this new life with Naomi. Ruth was not looking back. She had her eyes set and her heart fixed. She was never going to turn back to Moab or that way of life. God was working in Ruth and bringing Ruth to the point where she would meet Boaz. Ruth does not know this at this point in time. Consider again, now look, this is not just a picture of redemption. This is Ruth's redemption coming about, being redeemed from under Elimelech, under the bondage, under, under her husband, and all that was tied to that, all the debt, everything being paid off. That was going to happen in meeting Boaz. But Ruth doesn't know that at this point in time. In fact, I would venture to say to you that Ruth probably doesn't really even understand why she is so committed to go back to Bethlehem, Judah with Naomi, a place where she had never been. But yet there's this desire in her to go. There's this working in her to be there. Even though she is not fully recognizing, understanding why, other than just I am clinging to Naomi. Some years ago, I read an account of a man who was speaking on a street corner and said, socialism will give you a new job. Socialism will give you a new house. Socialism will give you a new coat to wear. Can anyone tell me anything that is better than that? An old man stepped forward and said, yes, I can. Salvation in Jesus Christ. Salvation will put a new man on the job. Salvation will put a new man in the house. And salvation will put a new man in the coat. Just as Ruth was committed to looking forward to this new hope produced by this new life and identity she had with Naomi, acknowledging that there was nothing worth looking back to in Moab, so we who have a new life in Christ know that there is nothing behind us worth looking back to and everything is before us. In verse 22, we read, And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Naomi left full. The Lord brought her back empty. But the Lord did not bring her back to an empty place. But he brought her back empty that she might be filled once again <laughs> with his blessing. As they went back with this new hope. In the middle of, at the end or at the time of barley harvest, beginning of barley harvest, where there is bread, there is food, there is provision. And you know who is most ready to receive the provision? that has been made, those who understand how empty they are. So Naomi says, I went away full. God has brought me back empty. But notice he didn't bring her back to an empty place. He brought her back empty that he might fill her with his provision and his blessing. 
and God is working through all the backstory of Ruth in the fulfillment of his redemption, bringing her personally to meet Boaz. It's a phenomenal work of God. And his love is constantly working behind the scenes. And his love has laid hold on us in a way that we can never comprehend and understand, even after redemption and salvation. We don't fully comprehend and understand the whole of God's love in our lives. But prior to coming to redemption, how ignorant we were of what God was really doing. But thankfully, he brought us to a point of understanding how empty we were, as Naomi does and as Ruth is as well, how empty we were that he might bring us to the greatest provision and fulfillment in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, the true Redeemer, our Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word.